All right. Well, we've um, sufficiently gotten off track. <laughs> so none of this is going to be in this episode. We'll be about five minutes long. Yeah. I don't know. I like talking about this kind of stuff. I don't care what our listeners think. <laughs> I'll include that part. <laughs> yeah. All right. Welcome to Why Is This Good? A podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. This week, it is John's turn. John, what did you pick? I picked a story called Cougar by Maria Anderson. All right. And you're going to read a section for us? Yep. Dad disappeared the day I got my senior pictures back, late April. His wallet on the table with everything still in it, empty Heinekens in the sink. I checked the closet and was relieved to see the rifle and shotgun. His truck was still there, key in the ignition, old Copenhagen cans on the floor, orange juice bottles half full of his spit, sun chip bags crammed into the seats. I touched the chewed passenger side seatbelt where Coda had worked on it all the way home from the pound. I pulled out my senior pictures. I was 18, but in them I looked like a kid, a dumb, smiling kid. Because when people ask me to smile, that's what I'd do. I spat on the shiny surface, rubbed the water around, and scratched off all my mouths. Search and rescue never found a body. One member of the search committee, a homeless asshole there for the free lunch, pulled me aside and told me it was them aliens who took my father, the ones who doodled on all the trees. He pointed at a larch. That's Dutch Elm, I said. He nodded, licked a yellow stain on the corner of his mouth, and wiped the area dry with his sleeve. Nope, he said. Before he took off, he pressed $15 in the Snickers bar from his sack lunch into my hands. The rifle was a gentle-looking black 22 semi-automatic, polymer plastic blend. I associated it with the peaceful feeling of completing a hunt, the comfort of fresh-cooked meat. I carried it into the living room and pointed it out the window, hoping the cougar would choose this moment to stroll through. I peeled off a sock and clicked off the safe and aimed at my big toe. I stood there for what felt like hours, wondering what kind of hurt could come from something small as a toe. I tried to think about all the places dad could have gone and might still be. Tried not to think about how he might have offed himself, if that's what he'd done. I clicked on the safety, turned the gun around, and swung it from the barrel like a golf club into my ankle. The pain felt like something else in the dark room, dim and sweet. All right. So tell us about this story or how you came about it. Yeah, I was just reading stories, trying to find something for the podcast. And I came upon this one and thought, oh, I like this one. Let's uh, let's talk about it. <laughs> Nothing more complicated than that. Uh, that's what I've been doing lately, too. But I've come across some charms that way. Who'd have thought that in seeking out good fiction, you can find it? <laughs> that's right. So what did you like about this? I like the, you know, I like the way it was, um, the way it did what, what good fiction does, which I've said before is good character, well-realized. And I really liked that it created a mood and um, really explored that mood from front to back and good imagery too that kind of carried and underlined that mood. So yeah, it was it was just good fiction. I think that's, that's what I liked. Yeah, you're right about the setting. I know I asked you before we started recording where this was set and you said Montana and I didn't necessarily remember that after having read it, but the setting itself I can picture right away, like where I imagine his trailer was at the edge the woods and like the neighbor across the street and even like what their dog looked like and all of that is really necessary to like visualize I think to understand the whole town and the whole concept of the story sometimes I feel like I write stuff and it's kind of like disembodied <laughs> like if you asked me where it was I would be like well I don't know I hadn't thought of it because I'm maybe in the character's head or something too much but this is one of those stories where I doubt the writer had to come up with a setting after the fact or force herself to 
you come up with one, it feels like the story is kind of one and the same, right? Oh, yeah. It's like how Twilight was set in Seattle and it was raining every day. <laughs> like you couldn't escape that. Every single like chapter of the book, it's raining, you know, it's stupid, but it is something that really sticks. And so you can't help but, you know, think of that series and then like picture the setting right away. So this is one of those. Yeah, the other imagery that I thought of that kind of carried throughout is just animals and guts and he like he talked about putting his hand on both his dogs and a girl's abdomen and watching it rise and fall and described it as his hand went into her into the girl into the dog as they breathed in or breathed out and then there's other scenes where they're butchering animals you know then animals get slaughtered by the cougar and it's all just butchery and viscera and Mm -hmm. blood Um, and that just carries throughout the whole thing kind of lends this aside from the setting it lends this mood to the to the situation yeah and like those are things that either actually happen in the story or like he kind of refers to you know like he does place his hand on the dog and then he starts talking about that and his dog gets gutted so he talks about that but then too like anytime you mention like a weapon like even in the section that you read like he doesn't look at that and just think oh there's my gun like he immediately associates that with like all of these things that you mentioned when it comes to like guts and animals and hunting like they're one in the same just like the setting is the mood yeah the hunting plays a key role too because he and the neighbor go off hunting for a while and they they cook a porcupine or something like that oh yeah i think they dress it and he talks about having to boil it or cook it extra because of the tapeworm oh yeah yeah. The hunting part too is like what I was going to mention was our first episode, which is The Midnight Zone by Lauren Groff. And both stories do something almost identical where they mention this wild mountain cat. <laughs> In Florida, it's like, what is it? Um, Panther. Panther. And, and here it's the cougar, but it's this big cat, this big predatory cat that you know is out there and you just kind of hope it's not coming for you, right? Because they're allowed to be there, but they are hunters. And they mention it at the very beginning of the story so there's that sense that the cougar is out there and is coming for him somehow right even if it doesn't come for him directly it's the threat it's the lingering threat and then it's also the thought in the back of his mind when it comes to like what the hell happened to his dad because he doesn't know and he doesn't want it to be suicide he doesn't want it to be like an accident I think we're kind of set up to assume it was the cougar but then he kind of at the end is wondering if he's just blaming it on the cougar it's interesting but Lauren Groff did the same thing I remember mentioning it in the podcast or at least thinking about it where mentioning that kind of key plot point didn't ruin it you know sometimes we give away what's going to happen at the beginning by like announcing it in both stories it's not as if the cat comes and kills the main character right but you're setting up like this expectation right away but it doesn't take away from the the tension that it builds it doesn't ruin anything it almost it sets it up. Yeah, it, it establishes like this menace that underlies everything. And even in the scenes when like he's just washing dishes, it lingers. And it, part of it is his situation. It's uh, mm-hmm. he's living on the edge of society in the first place, and so you know it's a little bit menacing to fall off the map. Mm-hmm. Like maybe his dad did. Who knows? Right. But yeah, that cougar definitely sets that up because that was what Lauren Groff's story. She felt trapped in the cabin because of the somebody said to her, "Oh, we saw a panther," and then it just became the thing in her mind yeah yeah i like the the resonance there mm-hmm. it seems really stupid to say that mentioning your 
threat at the beginning, like off the bat, would or wouldn't ruin like the ultimate plot. But I guess my point is that if you start reading this story and it wasn't called Cougar, we didn't hear about the Cougar until maybe like a third of the way in or two thirds of the way in, it wouldn't necessarily be as like exciting. It all lends to, like you said, the mood when there's that menacing undertone and the expectation and the tension. You don't get that by letting the reader kind of play dumb or something. Yeah, I think if you didn't mention it, it would read as um, it read as confusing. It's like, what is everybody reacting to? Why why are people behaving in this way? I don't understand. Right. And then halfway through or a third of the way through, you'd be like, oh, there's a cougar running around. Okay, that makes sense. And then you might say, oh, I like that, and um, and everything makes sense at that point. But that initial confusion is just death to like the fictive dream and mm-hmm. fiction. So I think you have to have that. This could have started though with him just kind of saying like, my dad's been gone, and that would have been enough for us. But to introduce the cougar even two thirds of the way into that would have been, I I don't know that I would have had the same takeaway by the end. I like that there's this like threat and it's not just like, like the cougar I think is obviously a metaphor in this story for like the absolute despair that this character feels, right? He feels like he, like his dad is this close to disappearing somehow because he has like nothing grounding him anymore, right? And when his dog dies, he's like, what do I do? Like, do I keep living here? Do I keep waking up every day and cleaning dishes at this job? Do I keep visiting with my neighbor? Like, I don't have any friends. And my only friend is like asking me to come out and work on this oil rig with him. Do I give up everything I know and leave? And like, what am I really looking for? And this is a kid, I want to say he's like 21 or something. It was hard to figure out his age at first or even his gender. I wasn't even sure that he was a guy at first, but I think that's because it's written by Maria. Anyway, you get the sense that he's just like, I think he would be as directionless even if his dad were around, but his dad is like the one thing that, you know, was anchoring him somewhere. And without him, he's like kind of spiraling. He doesn't know like how to find meaning in anything anymore. And he doesn't have like a parental figure or role model that has left town successfully or done something in town that he can like kind of aspire to. So he's just like absolutely lost and he doesn't feel like he belongs and this is why I think kids should go to college. (laughs) At least like put yourself on a little path, you know, even if you're following it blindly for a while because this poor kid, like he doesn't know what to do, but you want to tell him to just pick something and he'll end up okay. And he's like really stressed about picking right now. I think, so you you talked about how his dad's disappearance kind of served as a kind of a mood setter that could have replaced the cougar if we hadn't learned about it until halfway through the story. And I think that that's absolutely right. But one of the cool things that introducing the cougar at the same, like basically at the beginning and then the dad's disappearance at the beginning as well, is that both of those things underlie the mood of the story so that we connect them. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's something important to think about as a writer because that's what helps create a symbol, right? Yeah. So that that's how the cougar becomes a symbol for this this menace that's underlying his life and the, like exactly what you're talking about where he doesn't know what's going on with it just the same way the cougar's creeping around outside you have no idea what's going on where it's going to show up when it's going to eventually hurt people and he wants to go hunt it at some point right so everything every action he takes against the cougar becomes a stand-in a symbolic stand-in for actions he can take about how to move through his his own life like you're saying about whether or not he goes to college or not like that's that's the power of the 
of juxtaposing those two things at the beginning of the story as you get those resonances throughout. Yeah, and there's like a moment at like toward the end there where him and his neighbor are like resolving to go hunt the cougar because it's presumably killed the dog and at least the dog is dead and it was last seen with the cougar so it's all adding up. <laughs> and they decide to go after it and then the narrator kind of has a... Is, he, is this first person? Uh, yeah, it is. Yes. Isn't that weird how you can forget? Yeah. But him and the narrator, they or him and the neighbor they resolve to go after this cougar and he, i think he, he's the one that like kind of has a last minute almost change of heart he kind of wavers for a second the neighbor does no i think the narrator does oh the narrator does okay yeah do you remember that i gotta find it pretty sure there's a there's a line there where he's like and i didn't really want to go and i think they end up like trying to go oh well i underline this one where he says i resolved to go out on my own but lost my nerve yeah that's why i asked because the neighbor said he didn't want to go with him he's like you can't fall an animal for being hungry and then he was feeding him but I don't remember if he knew it at that time so he the main character said um his name Cal or something like that Mm -hmm. he said well I guess I'll go on my own I'll go do it by myself and then the line you just read yeah he lost his nerve so this is I think too one of the things that sets short fiction apart from novels when you set up an expectation like a cougar and by the end even if it hasn't killed the dad it definitely killed the dog so you think that we're building to something right and and then it just peters out and he doesn't go after it and he doesn't get his vengeance you know and there's not some satisfying climax i love that about fiction that's why that's what i call like a quiet story i like short stories that are kind of ambiguous that way not because i don't like a satisfying feeling but because i like remembering a story because of its mood and less like its plot like i guarantee you in like two days if you ask me about this story i'll recall the mood instantly and i'll love it and i'll want to like be in it but i won't necessarily like recall what happened or who the characters were, what their names were. And that seems a lot more valuable than a plot because we talk all the time about how like every story has been told, right? Man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self. And so the only thing that you can like achieve anymore is like your own personal mood. It's like music, you know? I might not like know all the lyrics. I might be butchering them, but like when a song starts and I want to put it on repeat, it's achieved its goal for me as a listener. Like I just want to sit in it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was thinking about this story. Um, One of the reasons I I wanted to bring it in was its structure is really interesting. It doesn't, like you said, a different storyteller would take this story and there would be this fight at the end where he like hunted the cougar down and there was this like standoff in the forest and he either shot it or didn't shoot it. And there was this kind of feeling of what does that mean? He'd stand over the corpse and look at it and reflect on the meaning of nature or something. You know, there's all kinds of ways to do that. But that would be the, the climax. That would be the climactic scene. But in this story... He, in with respect to the cougar, just it wanders into his neighbor's yard and eats some food that his neighbor left out for it. And that's like the end. But his life is kind of ending in that same place. He had this opportunity to go work on an oil derrick or something. He took a test. His friend keeps calling him or sending postcards like, hey, man, you coming out? And he just never does it. And then he loses his job. He r- runs out of money. And it looks like he's just, he's stuck. There's nothing he can do. You never know how life turns. But for the purpose of the story, he is stuck in the same way this cougar is just going to keep eating his neighbor's food and keep, you know, wandering through his yard and the menace remains and it's never resolved. And that's just how it ends. 
it doesn't have a satisfying story arc in that way, even though it's a satisfying story. Yeah, I think the satisfying takeaway has to be what you mentioned before, which is that the cougar is a symbol of something, right? Like the satisfaction kind of has to come after the reader does the work themselves of figuring like what it all means. I don't usually like stories like that where I'm like having to like force myself to like pull out things like themes, you know? (laughs) I don't like that kind of like criticism necessarily, but I do think here like the satisfaction comes from thinking to yourself like how is this kid like the cougar probably comes down to what the neighbor says which is that the cougar's just hungry and he's just doing what cougars do can't fault a hungry animal yeah so here's this kid that's i don't know like desperate or lonely or he feels like he has no direction and you can't really fault him either for maybe feeling that way given what's happened or i don't know maybe he needs to give himself like some sympathy whatever it means like i i had fun kind of wondering what he saw in this cougar right because he just wanted like a punching bag at this point right he'd had some shit luck and he thought maybe going after the cougar would you know feel good and he doesn't really like say that or anything but he's looking for something to do and maybe that's what he feels like he should do it killed his dog and it might have killed his dad you just don't know and he has that feeling like i should do something about this but yeah i'll talk about this too more in our next episode which like we mentioned before we started recording these two back-to-back stories that we happen to pick for the same week that we're recording are very similar but um part of i think what's interesting here is we have a male narrator that's in first person right and at least on the surface level like he's a reliable narrator in the sense that i believe him and what's happening and how he feels about it but i think this happens especially for male narrators we just assume that everything they say about how they feel is accurate but this could very well be a guy that is grieving and he's in a complete fog you know like his problems right now have less to do about the trajectory trajectory of his life than the fact that his dad just died and he's got no one and his dog just died and he's got no one and he's not telling you he's sad because he can't say that and he's not telling you he's lonely because he can't really say that instead he's just kind of like talking about what he's doing and how he's all mixed up about it right I don't know I, I think too we'll get into this for the next story but there's another guy another male narrator and we want to believe him because he feels authentic and he knows things about his town and his life and the way things work but even you could argue he He's not in touch with his emotions the way a female narrator might be or a female character might be in modern day fiction, right? Or especially like any kind of like female narrator, how easy it is to read that and to not take it at face value, to read it and to say, I think what she means is, <laughs> I think what she really, what she really feels is this or to discount some of what those narrators say. So like I read this on one level and I'm like, this kid is young and he does not know what to do, but we have a tendency as readers to trust that he has a handle on it. And I don't think he does just because he's first person. Oh yeah. The first person thing throws it in. And I have trouble remembering that his father died when I read this. Mm-hmm. It's such an important part of the story because it sets, it sets up his situation. That's why he's in these straits in the first place. Mm-hmm. And yet I don't think, I think you're right. He's not exactly facing it in a conscious way, right? This is yeah. something that's, that's behind the word. It's like behind the scenes. You kind have to dig for it. So if you just take things at face value and what he tells us about what's going on in the story, it's easy to assume he knows what's going on and the father's death didn't mean as much as it probably actually did. I mean, like even the fact that it's called Cougar is kind of this bait and switch, right? Like it's not, it's the cat is a symbol. We've established that. And I think that's clear by the end for the average reader. But the real story is that his dad just died. And yeah. that is where the story starts. That's why it started there, you know? that's 
what kicked all of this off. So it, we have to think of it all in, in that context and whether or not he is. I also think like, you know, if we played with perspective, right? If this narrator was still first person, but writing it, looking back on his 20 year old self, what he might say then, right? And that has less to do with being a male narrator than youth and like being able to evaluate yourself that way. But then there's also like, if this had been in third person and it's written by a woman, like what would she be saying about this kid? You know, like would there be some kind of a tone that tipped you off somehow that he was struggling like would it be like some sympathetic story or I love everything about the way it's written but I think it took even me like thinking about it a little longer than I might had I not been recording a podcast to realize that he's grieving yeah that is ultimately the story is about grief yeah he's he's just foggy it makes me you know there's so many places that take it if, if we did have these the story is great the way it is and I don't want to I'm not I don't think it should be rewritten Mm-mm. but you know if you turn all the dials on like you were saying changing point considering different points of view if this did have that kind of arc where there was a confrontation with the cougar that would represent like a um a coming to terms with or a confrontation with the father in some respect or at least with the father's death and maybe the reason that it wouldn't feel right to have that or it feels satisfying without it is because that's not what he needs that's not what he's there for or what the story is about and we get that on an unconscious level mm-hmm. it's almost like if he were depressed or something like we know that in real life you don't come out of a depression because of some climactic moment right just like you don't climb out of grief suddenly like we have to leave this character where we left him or else this would be a novel about how he overcomes what what might be years of his life yeah what else would you like to mention? I think my first thought when I finished the story was, why do all these stories have to be so sad? You know, why are there these the good stories about poor people being poor, you know, and having no future and just their Ugh. dads die and their dogs get mauled? Don't get me started. But I just read a, I just read a review of the new Netflix movie. It's called like Hillbilly Elegy. And it's apparently like... Oh, based on that book. Yeah. Based on the book. And the book has been heavily criticized for what it is you just described, right? It's, you know, a guy writes this book after having gone to Harvard about his hometown type place like Appalachia. And he's somehow an authority having risen out of it. But his take is basically what you just described. Like poor people are sad and they're all stereotypes. My first thought was like, okay, so apparently the easiest way to get published is to write a story about being poor and sad yeah, with no real resolution. And then it not only is it, if you can, if you do it well, you know, as a good story, you you write it well. Not only is it a good story, but then it becomes political. Like hillbillyology yes. was big because it happened and it came out in like sixteen or something like that, mm-hmm. right around that the last election. And all like a lot of the stories you had anthologized are just about people being sad. <laughs> and yeah. stuck and they're described as this political commentary on, on our world like he's struggling to get by but he doesn't think less of himself because of it it's kind of like these people are poor but in america we can elevate them as heroes because they're working so hard despite their circumstance instead of what maybe we should take away from it which is looking at these people and saying why aren't we helping them why are we letting them struggle and then dipping in in fictionalized versions to say well aren't they spunky or what an interesting in culture he's got a foul mouth but he's really charming like no th- these are people that like are struggling because of a, a larger failing you know not their own always 
trying to think what else I kind of noticed. Yeah, I was mostly kind of taken by the story and its similarities to kind of the other stuff that we are going to read in our next episode. And then, like I said, the Midnight Zone. I was just kind of swept up in how the more you read, the more you see those similarities and the more you kind of have to admit to yourself that it's not about sitting around and waiting for like this perfect idea to strike you. It's more like there's a formula to this kind of stuff and it's not a formula that you have to follow or Google or look up, but like you can read this kind of fiction and say to yourself, why do I like these two stories? Or why do I like these three stories and triangulate them? And maybe you're realizing like what's similar and what you can copy. Like go ahead and copy the fact that there's a cougar or a panther and it does not serve as the villain. These big cats are not villains. They're symbols in both stories. Like maybe you need to have a symbol in your story. Like maybe you need to work really hard to incorporate something like that instead of hoping that someone in your fiction group turns you on to something that you accidentally made a symbol in your story. <laughs> you know, some people, we do that all the time. Like some, I'll share a story and someone will be like, I love how you have themes of, and I'm like, oh, interesting. Yes, yes. We'll make a note of that. <laughs> yeah, the themes. Maybe you need to be just kind of intentional about that and kind of going back to this story, the idea that the cougar is a symbol, but the story itself was set up at the beginning for us with the fact that the dad had just died so like where do you start the story and how does that kind of couch the mood and then here too we talk about how it's such a strong setting like you can't remove the setting from the story from the mood from any of it when you think of the story you're going to think about where it was you're going to think about the trailer and the woods and the neighbor and the cat that you have to I think work at unless you're writing about a place that was also that strong for you right if you're writing about a story in a place and a time that you can't you know separate the two in your own mind Maybe that writing comes naturally, but otherwise you might have to kind of force it. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's kind of my takeaway is like, because that's what I wrote down was like being intentional about some of these things that we learn about in English class for our whole life, which are, you know, devices, like be intentional about a theme, maybe from the outset instead of after the fact. I always do it after the fact. I always like realize that I wrote about love a lot and then I amp that up somehow. But maybe you set out to write a story about loss or grief and you're intentional about making that apparent. We talked about that in a our episode a long time ago. I don't even remember yeah, which one. I'm repeating myself. No, no, no. We talked the opposite way about not pursuing a theme too oh, deliberately. Oh, perfect. So now we're contradicting. Okay. So. <laughs> no, but I think you're suggesting something slightly different um, than what we talked about in that one. Because in that one, it was like, don't worry about it too much. Yeah. Sometimes if you try to force it, you can, you can ruin the story. But I think what you're saying is more, maybe that's a good place to start thinking about what your story needs and where your story is, needs to bind together and all those pieces because what we were saying about this story and what you're just saying about this story having the setting and the the cougar as a symbol and everything kind of just connects around that theme of grief yeah well, in a story like this, instead of just like kind of wondering why it was so well done, you have to like, maybe you have to assume that it was like, it was a lot of work and it was really intentional, right? You can't just yeah. like whip that out. So what kind of a takeaway would you have, John? My first takeaway was what I talked about before about why why is this kind of story so popular? And I, you know, my first thought after I read this is like, I need to think about times in my life have been hungry and poor and, <laughs> and like write stories about those times, apparently, and uh, turn that into something. That's the way I'm going to break in, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they'll love to hear it. Yeah. All right. Well, is that it? It's a little bit rambly of an episode, but yeah. Yeah. Feel free to cut. <laughs> I probably have right. to. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, napleswritersworkshop.com.
And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.